Hi guys, uh, welcome to the Fox and Burger podcast. I'm your co-host Fox. And I am the other co-host Burger. And in today's episode, um, we have a very special guest today, uh, Kofu Lion. Kofu is originally from Taiwan and later moved to the States, uh, later attaining his U.S. citizenship. He, uh, he's actually a personal friend of mine, so I'm very much honored to have him on the show. Um, I did want to mention that he was also one of the interpreters for the Infernity staff uh, during the Infernity Online convention, uh, the virtual convention that they had last year in October. Uh, he served as one of the interpreters for the Q&A session with Uncle Kage, and I do believe, someone someone had to correct me, I do believe the Infernity staff, they do have that stream uploaded to their YouTube channel, so if you want to check out um, that Q&A session with Uncle Kage and with Kofu's interpretation, feel free to do so. Um, again, I just want to mention that Kofu is a personal friend of mine and is, you know, very much, I think, I think we've been friends for a, a few years, uh, by now and it's very much an honor to have you on the show. Thank you so much. Well, as always, like, like we, 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 we definitely need to know who you are. So, um, so who are you? What do you do? And, uh, how did you get into the fandom? So my name is Kofu. I got into the fandom because, of a random search online that I find out a first shooter's name, Tinduru, and he has been posting and hosting a lot of uh, first shooter videos on his personal site. It's called First Who Archive. I think it's still up. And since then, I just kind of dive down into the furry fandom because the first who aspect of it. And of course, like everyone else, I like cartoon and like anthropomorphic animal characters like Box Bunny, Mickey Mouse. And I think the biggest drive for me to be a part of a fandom uh, was Lion King. So I right. was, yeah, I have a I have a Lion persona because of the movie Lion King. I would say moving on from being a Lion King fan to becoming a furry was really finding out all the first videos on Tinduru's website. So when when would you say that happened? I just want to cut in that like like when would you say that. If you can put like a year to the t- to to the time that you say, okay, yes, I'm definitely a furry. Like, like what what year would that be? I'm guessing maybe around 2003, 2004. Um, if I move over to America, I already like kind of sort of know about furry, but just it's it was a very distant word. Like, oh, I I know some people are doing this kind of stuff, it, but it has nothing to do with me, and I kind of forgot about it. That was back in Taiwan. Right. And it was really until, I really think it's 2003, 2004, that I find out about the website and kind of pick it up again and find out, oh, well, there's actually people in my state that I need, uh, like, that I live, share this kind of interest as well. We all find some sort of media that inspired us to create our personas like Kofu with Lion King, um, Fox with... Uh, as mentioned in the previous podcast, Zootopia. That's right. And of course, I'm a big Barnyard fan. <laughs> Not to, kidding, I'm kidding, I'm kidding. Sorry to say this, I haven't really seen Barnyard. It, it was an American cartoon, 3D animated, back in the mid-2000s. It was on, well, it started as a movie, but then yep. it went on to Nickelodeon. Back at the Barnyard, right? Yeah, 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 you're, right. you're not missing much. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I remember. I actually have not seen the full movie, but I have seen a lot of the episodes. Believe it or not, of of the show. 
I remember the main characters have. Okay, sorry to say this. I don't really understand the gender. I think it's a girl, <laughs> but with a guy's voice. No, you know what? People get that all the time with cartoons. It doesn't matter if it's a cow or a bull. People are just gonna assign a male or female gender to a cow just because cows are more prominent on farms, I guess, than mm-hmm. bulls. Yeah, definitely. Well, I, I want I want to swing the back uh, swing the swing the mic back to Kofu and ask him um, a question that uh, uh, I I feel I feel like may pop up in our our viewers minds um so what's the history what's the history behind your name i mean i think it's a little bit obvious but just to you know let us know sure um so my name kofu k-o-f-u came out as a mistake that i took off from a lion king character whose name is kovu k-o-v-u so what happened was uh back in 1984 no that was the actual Lion King. In 1989, that was the second movie of The Lion King came out on VHS. So back in Taiwan, my parents bought a VHS. And of course, the movie was for child, children, and the subtitles are all in Chinese. There's no English subtitle, even though the character is speaking in English. In Taiwanese, the, the subtitle reads, Gaofu, so it doesn't really translate the sound that well. And listening to the name of the character in the movie, it sounds like Kofu, so I just like, oh, okay, I, I like this character. Mm-hmm. I'm going to be a dark skinned lion and just call myself Kofu, not knowing the actual <laughs> spelling was K O V U. Yeah, I think the, the V sound doesn't really exist in Mandarin languages. Especially, this is, uh, I, I'm ashamed to be saying this, being a Lion King fan, I can't remember if this was a Swahili or Zulu, so it's not even, mm-hmm. um, I don't even know if Kovu, the V is uh, pronounceable in English even, but I could be wrong. True. Well, do you, do, uh, tell us more about your persona then, um, like... Like, does he have a backstory? Like, 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 like. Um, I mean, I mean, for me, I've I've obviously obviously seen the persona, but like, you know, just just for Burger's sake and for the audience' sake, you know, can you describe him? Like, what is he like? Is he based off of you? That kind of stuff. The character Kofu was, um, not. We don't. I don't really have a backstory for it. So, sure. I got the name, um, but the character really came out from a birthday present I got from a friend back in Taiwan. Her name is Aji, and she drew a fursuna for me without knowing it's a fursuna, it's just a character, but um, it's basically a dark-skinned lion with a really messy mane, green eyes, and uh, green iris and yellow eyeballs, something like that, just kind of like um, a different version of Kofu, uh, Kovu coming out from the movie with a different mane or hairstyle, if you call that. So what I want to know is, since you've been in the fandom since, like, the early to mid-2000s, yeah. what is your perspective on any differences between how it was back then and how it is now? When I first joined the fandom, it was everyone behaved like a big family. It was very united, and not to say people aren't like a family today, 
but people are definitely more inclusive uh, back then compared to what we have today. Mm -hmm. um, Just to clarify, you're talking about like uh, the U.S. side of the fandom, right? Correct. Gotcha. That's important to make a note. Yeah, because um, we kind of sort of had a fandom back in Taiwan when JC built a discussion board or forum online and we we just discuss and share furry characters but nothing really as far as activities or um, any socialization there's none of that in Taiwan but in US I would say there's the furry culture was already developed so I was able to be a part of that already established social interaction group and just kind of went from there so the reason why I said it was more inclusive back then was because um, I went to my very first fur meet after talking to my friend Fox Todd for quite a while and I got to meet him for the first time at a fur meet and at the same time I was able to meet other furries over there and at the end of the meet because the location was about an hour and a half, two hour drive away from where I live. Some people actually stayed nearby the Fermi overnight at the hotel and I was questioning if I could be a part of that, if I could stay overnight so I could hang out with people the next day. They did not say things like, well we don't know you so goodbye. It wasn't like that before but um, I feel this type of uh, attitude or less inclusiveness is more today because there are more concerns today. I definitely know about people who have come to the Arlington Fur Meet when I was still back in Texas. Uh, there would be people who would drive from, what was it, like Houston all the wow. way up to Texas, or at least around the Houston area, just to see more furries to hang out with. So, so they would drive from Houston all the way up to Arlington. Yeah, basically. Wow, that's uh, you know, just to give our viewers, you know, uh, I mean, I mean, how how would would that be like what five hours minimum? You can get from the Houston area to the Dallas area well within three and a half to four hours. That's that's insane, man. Um, you guys are fast drivers. <laughs> I don't know, Kofu. Kofu, you might like road trips more than me, because like, isn't isn't it getting from Dallas to Austin? Like, I thought that took at least an hour and a half, or, I mean, like two hours, possibly three. It's about the same amount of driving time, actually. Hmm. Wow. Oh, okay. Good to know. <laughs> two to three hours for me. That's uh, if it's a day trip, it's doable, but it's not a short distance either. Sure. You'll have to remind me, like, you're based on the East Coast, right? Aren't you in um, NC? Is that right? I am. I'm in uh, North Carolina right now. Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah, that, that explains why you were able to meet up with uh, Dr. Kage. Yeah, he moved over here, say, maybe less than 10 years, but about 10 years now, I think. Oh, he's based in North Carolina now? Yeah. Oh, I had no idea. I'm <laughs> okay, sure. Cool. Yeah, that would explain it. That would definitely explain it. Sounds like you should pay more attention to his story hours. Yeah. 
I think I I think I I really've only listened to about a couple and I I mean I know for sure I've listened to the Infinity Online one but that might have been the only one I I've like listened to from beginning to end to be to be told. Yeah, his story hours are pretty amazing and he's also a wonderful storyteller who could not only yeah. he have interesting encounters in life but he also able to tell he would, he is able to give um, descriptions on daily events that could make it very interesting for his listener and audience. It's essentially the kind of skills you need to be a good stand-up comedian or storyteller. Yeah, right. basically. I I definitely like the I definitely like the clarity in in his voice in his speech. Um, you know, he like he's not necessarily mumbling. He has he has like. He has a certain logic that's pretty easy to follow, and not only that, but he does it in an entertaining way, which is a, which is a great combination. Absolutely, absolutely, and yeah, he's uh, very he's very great at uh, storytelling. A good organizer. It's an honor to have him um, in the same state with us. So, so I I kind of want to uh, piggyback on that topic. So. Um, what was your experience like then um, for interpret interpreting with Kage? Like, 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 um, how did you feel? Um, what kind of preparation did you do? So, like, like, uh, you know, could could you speak about like your experience in in regards to uh, you know the the Inferno Online Q and A event? First of all, I'm pretty new to actually translation translating anything for a professional event, and I. On top of the thrill, I'm actually kind of frightening at the same time, because <laughs> um, Michael Barbie, uh I mean, uh, uh, yeah, Mike might know this that when you translate for people, especially English to Chinese, Chinese to English, there's a lot of um, things that could be lost in translation. So, say say like um, translating just. On the surface of the word, meaning of the word is not enough to cut it. So, in addition, I have to provide like a few more, few more words to explain things on top of the words that I'm saying. So, my interpretation with Kage was actually um, practiced a little bit before we went live that day. I have to make sure the questions that he was being asked and his answers are that I could e explain in a way that people could actually understand as a Chinese speaker and Chinese user. So I'm, I'm, I'm kind of curious about uh, um, the prep work that you had to do um, uh, with with the uh, like like before you had to actually you know do the interpretation. Um, I was talking to Shu uh, about this uh, just very briefly over Telegram um he's he's also um one of the um just just for the audience sake he's he's one of the interpreters slash translators for infernity uh, matter of fact i would i would i would say he's like the head translator and she was telling me that there was kind of like a script already in place so you didn't necessarily have to like translate everything from scratch i guess like you could already be prepared so like like um can you can you verify if that was true or and like 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 how did how did that help you oh that was most definitely true and it really helped me about a lot so it comes back to 
we talked uh, we talked about uh, having to know the questions ahead of time and know what Kage's answer ahead of time in order to put it down in text. And then I took it with um, Shu and actually JC as well and discussed what would be the best way to actually using these words in speaking tone so it will sound interesting and um, formal instead of just um, random pieces of words. So Shu actually gave uh, helped me a lot on this because my... (laughs) Both my English and Chinese are kind of poor right now, and um, so he have to give a lot of input on like, okay, you want to use th- this type of word, or you don't want to say this, and you can definitely use a better uh, words like that, that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. I was just going to say that that's something that I hear from people who are bilingual or polyglots learning new languages, is that occasionally you just forget how to operate a certain language sometimes Mm -hmm. it's just like oh i know this word in this language but i need to speak this language so (laughs) you're kind of stuck with your limited memory bank space right like there's way too many times that i understand a phrase in english or chinese but if you want me to translate on what it means with the proper words I don't think I could do that on the flight yeah I'm just amazed that there are people that can do that and Mm -hmm. I mean I've met people that can do that and it's just weird that it seems so natural for them to have something go in one ear and then quickly process it and then spit it out in a language that the listener can comprehend yeah well, well, well. I, I, I definitely. I remember um, talking to um, a little bit off topic, but I remember. I remember you and I, uh, Berger, were talking to Carbon. Um, he's what the, the. I guess you could say he's like the main interpreter for Furpoint. I, I was very much impressed by his ability. I wasn't there to hear him do his interpreting, but he mentioned that he did run into some difficulties with interpreting, and for him, it was mainly with going from Chinese to English. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no. It was English or Chinese, and he's quite a young person. He's very, he's very smart, and and you know, I'm, I'm, I'm the same with you. I'm very impressed by his ability. Like, like he said that, like, he even said himself that was like that was like probably his first time acting as like a a professional interpreter. You know, like for interpreting what I think it was like first science people to the audience, and um, uh, I, I'm very impressed myself. Yeah, I'm very, I'm very impressed. You know, like like to to have that kind of like that kind of like memory bank um to use a phrase that you just used and and be able to you know deliver a message that is coherent in the to kind of to kind of sound a little bit a little bit more linguistically inclined like like that's that's like um coherent in the in the target culture or the target language because i think that um when you interpret or translate you have to make choices um you can either localize you can either localize slash domesticate your words or you can foreignize your words so you can either do like literal or 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 more local translations literal or more loose translations i should say and you know when you're interpreting though when you're on the spot that's different from translation where translation is usually uh that that that's the generally speaking that that's for written like like strictly speaking translation is for written but interpreting is for oral and um 
those those kinds of people though interpreters they do need to be able to think on the spot so um i want to go back to the q a session that that kofu um was the interpreter for and i wanted to say that man um when i was listening to when i was listening to uncle kage's english you know i'm, I'm an english native speaker so of course i'm going to understand that very well so what i did was i took special attention to what kofu said because kofu was the one interpreting into chinese and um and I thought that I thought that was amazing. I think yeah, you know, again, again, you guys did have like a little bit. You guys had like a kind of like a script that you're playing off of. But I really, I was extremely impressed. You know, with 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 with, with how Kofu handled the Chinese. Um, I really felt like you hit on a bunch of the topics um, that like that like what that that uh, Uncle Kage was was talking about. And these kinds of things are difficult to explain. You know, this is not like basic Chinese where you're saying like ni hao and xie xie. Like like these are like complex ideas that you kind of have to like you have to first understand what they mean in english and then try to find the, the chinese equivalent like you need to you need to be able to understand like the content of what he's saying in the first place and then you put that into chinese i think a, a big part of that was um um uncle kage being uncle kage he probably was already being asked the same question over and over again by so many different people in offended so he have a bottom line um, answers to them all, and um, sure. So uh, we got an answer from Uncle Kage pretty quickly, and I took the advantage of um, Uncle Kage being here that I was able to look and look for him and discuss with him, like um, if this type of um, translation and the meaning of it in Chinese is proper or anything like that make sure mm -hmm. nothing gets lost in translation and of course um, talking with Shu and making sure the my uh, Kage's point is actually made when it translates to Chinese so everyone's helping is and what you saw was the result of a show and you know unless you're running solo otherwise the show is produced by a bunch of people so it's really yep. a collaborative, collaborative of work. I suppose in a way, language itself is also basically cooperative because you're just exchanging ideas from one person to another or, you know, one party to another party. It doesn't just have to be two people. It could be a whole group. It could be uh, a stream of one person yep. being watched by other people. You know, it's all sorts of mediums. Yeah, definitely. Um, I'm still very new to verbal translation, or you, you would say interpreting, and also um, recording and learning how each program works. It, they're all very new to me. And Uncle Kage being here, he has uh, done um, videos on YouTube for a very long time, so he was able to take care of that without any issues. So that was great. And, and just kind of a, a follow-up question, um, not necessarily related to, I guess, the fandom, but like, you know, in your position, I really feel like you have um, a great sort of like background um, and and maybe, maybe you could even say experience uh, because, you know, like you're originally from Taiwan and then you moved to the States. And so you kind of have like this dual perspective and, you, and, and also you're bilingual. So like, have you ever thought about, I feel like we talked about this once, but have you ever thought about 
um, doing work into the field of translation or interpreting or, you know, like, like, have you have, has that ever crossed your mind? Like while it's since, since you've been in the States? Yeah, definitely. But, um, I'm also the type of person that I really self doubt a lot. So, um, I haven't really looked too much into it and I feel to be able to work in this field, you need what a person need is more than just being able to listen and speak the language the person will probably need a lot more skill than like what I just said so beyond that I don't know if I could do it but if there's such job and I can find that I definitely would be interested to give it a try there are some people said they think the field of interpretation is just kind of like interpreting for a friend on a casual conversation. I don't know if that's true or not. If it is true, I guess it will be a lot easier. But if it isn't, then it proves the point that I guess it requires a certain skill set that I don't think I have just yet. Is part of that just your public speaking skill, public speaking skills as well? There's that. Um, I don't think I have a public speaking skill, to be honest. I can do uh, interpersonal conversations individually, but if you want me to give a speech in front of the audience, I will run short with words, and my tone is not convincing, and that those are the skills I don't have just yet that I think it's very much needed when you do interpretation work. What all training do you have in either languages? Is it just something you pick up once you get to the new to a new country or a new place, or is there some sort of academic or professional training that you go through? Like, like what what was your journey in learning English? My journey in learning English was really just my middle school and high school English class back in Taiwan, and then everything else that I just kind of picked up. In the country and well, in the, in the U.S. Um, well, when I first got here, I had to go through um, ESL class, English for second as a second language class. Was that was that for high school or was that uh, was that like community college? So like in between high oh. school and college level. Right. Interesting. Yeah, it wasn't really a language school, but it's. Uh, place it's a, a place that they provide classes you can kind of uh, right. build up your English skill enough that you can actually take the college course so there was that and mm -hmm. um, some English class that like uh, English 101 200 level of class that kind of stuff in college but everything else is just like chatting with friends online or talking with friends in person um, that I picked up so honestly, honestly, I don't really have any professional training as far as the um, polishing the language or how I get where I am today, really. I had something um, pop up in my mind just now. I was just curious, like, um, did you, um, how did you feel when you were able to finally watch The Lion King in English, but then finally able to understand like basically everything that was said. Because if, if I'm not mistaken, you mentioned that you were you were watching it with Chinese subs back in Taiwan, but like 
you know, was there a day where you actually decided to just, okay, you know, now that I can speak English or now that my proficiency is higher, let me just rewatch this movie because it's awesome. Like, like, did you ever have that moment? Maybe not so much with Lion King, but definitely it was um, songs. Like, songs uh, I hear as a kid, like Michael Jackson songs. Um, mm-hmm. Like Thriller? <laughs> maybe. Um, I could definitely pick up a little bit more words without reading the lyrics. But of course, if you were to, there are still songs if you were to uh, hearing it today, you because the complexity of the the song and the words they're choosing to put in the song, there's no way you cannot, there's no way you can pick up the lyrics without actually reading the text. So I'll give you that. But I definitely was able to pick up some words from songs I um, uh, I've been singing along with and um, understand oh why this is what they're actually saying in the song that I didn't realize mm-hmm. before as a kid. Um, but yeah, right. I haven't really gone back to watch the same movie. Um, not because I don't want it, I want to do that, but really because it haven't really came across my mind. And funny sure, thing sure. that you mentioned it. Um, I guess both um, Light, Lightning and uh, Michael, both of you uh, understand this. There's not a lot of uh, movies that have captions in America unless you purposely turn it on. But right. if right. you were to watch movies in Taiwan, guess what? There's captions in every single movie. So that's the same case in mainland China as well. Um, there are separate screenings for movies that have maybe... It's like a Marvel or a uh, Disney movie, and they have one screening where it's English voice acting and Chinese subtitles, mm. and there's a different stre- screening on a different time slot or a different theater where it is Chinese voice acting and maybe English subtitles. Interesting. So it, it sounds like the movie translation was produced by a different company in different region even being even though the movie is released in the same country yeah basically that is very interesting but uh, my point is because there's no actual subtitle you can read in american movies so right you can only pick up by listening and just like reading a novel as a foreigner who comes to america there's no chance that I'll understand the full content of uh, conversations or texts by just reading the whole thing because it doesn't work that way. I, I, there's no way I understand um, or already know all the words that I do not know of. So, but you were able to pick up between the lines to know the story and just move along. That's um, how I started back in college and that's how I've been learning things in the movies and things in the novel. So I guess if I went to go back to watch the same movie again without having a subtitle, that's probably the most I could get. Unless I turn the subtitle on, then I'll be like, oh, here's what happened. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, 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 you you're definitely hit the, hit the nail on the head with that one. Um, I think this speaks to the linguistic differences in the languages, um, the differences between Chinese and English, where in Chinese, because of things like um, homonyms, you know, words that have the same um, what pronunciation but mean different things, um, 
I can't think of a, a specific example right now, but to kind of clarify, you know, to kind of clarify um, which word you're actually saying, I know in the Chinese language, it's much more needed. Like subtitles are much more needed because you need to actually look at the character because the character will, will determine the meaning. Um, other, otherwise, like you might think it might be another character, but really, but really it should be this character. Um, and I think that happens more in Chinese than it does in English. And so I noticed that like basically like almost any like modern uh, film with Chinese as its, main, as its main language or or some Chinese dialects, um, like it could be a Hong Kong movie, right? Um, you know, like like they'll have subtitles, like almost any like modern movie will, 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 will featuring the Chinese language will, will have subtitles. Um, and then um, so like that, that is true. Like if you're trying to learn Chinese, you do have the advantage of like of like okay, you can, you can kind of rely on the, the characters. You can rely on the subtitles to, to kind of get the context. But if you're watching a movie in English, most of the time you're not going to have subtitles on. Like, like I would say like a vast majority of the time, really. Um, I, 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 I don't know why people don't prefer to have it on. Maybe it's because it's distracting. As a kid, I actually, I actually did turn on the subtitles. I don't know why. Maybe it's because I just like to double check what they're saying but as I grew older like I realized like maybe it's because you know we're, we're all native speakers right like you know I grew up in the states so like we're all native speakers we kind of we kind of know what words should be said and what words aren't going to be said and the chances of running into those um homonyms um or sorry homophones I think homophones running into those homophones the chances of running into those homophones are, are much less in English yeah I think what's interesting as well if I could drop right in, is that um, I I was at a uh, either a restaurant or a bar, um, and the there was like a, a movie playing on the TV screen, and it had he was here in Taiwan, but it had the hmm. simplified Chinese subtitles, hmm. and someone I was hanging out with who knew English and I was having a decent conversation with was like. Basically, they explained to me that even though it's different, like, with simplified and traditional, like, there's a good chance that Taiwanese people can read both simplified and traditional. It's just that they use, I guess, traditional characters more often here in Taiwan. Yeah, traditional character, I think it's a national language or written language that we use in Taiwan. And uh, coming back to, I don't know, it's very interesting, like, it doesn't take a whole lot for people who learned traditional Chinese to learn the simplified, because simplified, most of the time when you actually look at it, it's just a selection of a part of a word that comes off from the traditional written Chinese, which, if you already know how a word is written, then it's really not hard to pick up just yeah. uh, left off the parts being cut off and right. back in school we actually used a lot of simplified Chinese to take notes because our teacher just go on and on and on without stopping so it makes uh, <laughs> <laughs> it really makes easier to just take notes in simplified Chinese yeah. but um, I saw that too I love that I love that yeah, I saw that on Quora. So someone posted that that they actually wrote simplified Chinese, even if they're living in Taiwan, they did it because it's like a faster way of taking notes. Right, but on the test, you will never see a simplified Chinese. You actually get points taken if you do that. Ooh. Oh, dang! Whoa. Okay. 
Yeah, I never, I never studied uh, simplified myself. I'm, I'm one of those weirdos that even despite learning Chinese, in, like I started learning Chinese in the states, and um, just a short anecdote, I, I actually asked my teacher if I could learn traditional, and she said, okay, sure, but just keep in mind most of the class material is going to be in simplified, so you'll just have to buy the the tra- traditional version. It actually went okay for me. I remember one time, like when we were taking a test, she forgot to print out the traditional version of the test. Uh, because it was, only, it was only me. There's only one student who wanted to learn traditional in the class, and um, so she just forgot. And then she said, "Oh, oh, she said, oh, sorry, sorry, I forgot, I forgot to print out the traditional version, Michael. Um, uh, uh, here, let me let me just convert the simplified to traditional, and then let me let me put the test on the um, the projector. So literally, I took my test through the projector. Like everyone else had like a paper copy, and like <laughs> I, I I had the simplified copy, but I was writing down my answers in traditional. Like I was I had to look at the projector, and I actually had to." tell the teacher can you scroll down like on the documents you know to page two or whatever so i can you know continue reading or whatever so like yeah i remember i remember <laughs> i can't believe my teacher and she's from mainland china too she she let me she let me do that she didn't really care she you know so um she let's just say she's a, she was definitely nice to me you don't really run that, into that, a whole lot tr- of people like that i think it's just because there's a bigger market for learning the simplified and the mainland version of Chinese but like for someone like me who's wanting to who wanted to go to Taiwan and try to figure out more the traditional characters trying to find the material to learn traditional rather than simplified um, especially on like online or through a phone app it's like very difficult to actually find something that fits that need just because there's a much bigger need to learn the simplified version, I suppose. And it's really funny when you look at the calligraphy back in the days, or even today, no one's writing calligraphy in simplified Chinese, but that will be involved with yeah. some political stuff that I'm not sure if we're yeah. ready to discuss here. <laughs> right, right. I think um when at least back in school, my classmates, they don't like to turn on subtitles because when, like you said, Michael, um, when people watch movies, they want to be able to focus. I guess with subtitles on the screen, it takes a part of the screen away and some people actually hate it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. As, as someone who's watched tons of anime online, having to watch it with Japanese voice acting and English subtitles, um, they can learn and they can deal with it <laughs> <laughs> true true yeah I, i'm definitely one of those who's like like i'm definitely used to i i'm i'm, I'm a guy who watches like a decent amount of anime myself um i prefer i i actually like both i actually like both the the english dub and then english subs but I, I do think that like it takes some time to get used to but eventually you do get used to it um i did want to uh kind of um shift our focus back to the furry fandom and kind of ask a question um, related to that and that is um so for kofu um you've been in the fandom for a very long time right like we're talking like what like 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 15 plus years and so um uh, i'm 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 actually just curious um how many cons have you attended total and can you name the cons like all the cons you've attended oh my god i actually did not put I never actually counted the cons I attended like some people put it on their FA and just like keep a counter <laughs> on it I, I don't do that but I can tell you I started going to cons back in um 
2006. And Further Confusion 2006 was my very first con. Wow. California. Yeah. Isn't it weird? Um, Did you live there before? Never. Never. And Oh. Never. That's my first con. And the reason why I did that was because, uh, do you remember... I mentioned the Tinderu in the very first part of this podcast that I found out the uh, first two videos. Um, Tinderu actually lives in France, and at the time, mm. I find out he only had the time to go to further confusion. It's usually happening January in a year, so I wanted to meet him. So that's why I went to further confusion as my very first con, even though it's very far away from East Coast. I had a good time, and I met up with um, people, and made eventually becoming friends with, and back to the East Coast, and starting to talk to local friends. That I realized, oh, other than the big cons, there are actually some regional cons um, nearby North Carolina I could go to. So I started ventured out. Then I went to MFM. It's a Memphis Fair Meet and was in Memphis in Tennessee at the time. Where else have I been? Um, went to FWA, of course, and went up to Anthrocom. So to give you a perspective, um, driving distance from North Carolina down to Atlanta for FWA is about six hours, and to Memphis, Tennessee is about 12, and up to Anthrocom is about eight hours. Um, they're not exactly short distance, but they are the events that I could I could drive to without actually flying. I worked in Disney for a little bit down in Orlando, so of course I went to uh, Megaplex in Orlando for a little bit. Ah, gotcha. And what else? Um, I went to at the time there's uh, King Elias live event the host was in orlando so there was one more ferry event over there and they took their event out of the state and actually hosted in vegas a couple of times and i was able to visit vegas for uh vegas once for that event i went to ef went to infernity and uh, of course mff in chicago I guess that's about it. And there are maybe some other cons I'm forgetting right now. Out of, out of that gigantic list, um, I hate to do this to you, but w- which con would you say is your favorite? Or that would you, would you say you like the most? And you could, you could take some time to think about it. Oh, on top of it, there's uh, FA United and local con BRFF. But anyway, um, any con that I was able to meet with friends and have a good time, those are the best cons I had. So I cannot really pinpoint a particular con for you to answer this question. But I can tell you the bigger the con is, the more chance you get to run into people that you know and you want to hang out with. But at the same time, the bigger con um, kind of dilute your attention and shift your attention away that you could probably only spend a very small amount of time with with people you want to spend with and smaller events um, actually have that advantage if you find a person you want to hang out with you could actually spend a good chunk of time and just um, 
catch up where you left off, or if you want to simply just um, relax with the people you want to spend time with. That's interesting to hear.、Um, I think the most interesting kind of experience I have for a convention is when Texas Furry Fiesta. I started going to Texas Furry Fiesta back in 2011, and、oh, wow. Like watching it grow, yeah, watching it grow from about I don't know, one thousand two hundred attendees in a Crown Plaza in Addison, Texas, all the way to like, is it a Hyatt? Yeah, was it Hyatt Regency?、Marriott? Yeah, Hyatt、oh, Regency. Hyatt Regency. Gotcha. Like it has gotten so big since I started going there. Like nine, it would be ten years ago with this upcoming month.、Um, Right. Man, and now a lot of the more popular furries are coming down to TFF too, as well. Yeah, like I didn't imagine that someone like Majira or any of these newer popular TikTok furries would be coming down all the way to <laughs> Texas just to go to a convention. But like, that's right. They've decided to come to TFF. <laughs> I kind of brought this up to Michael、uh, a bit ago when we talk about like. Having infinity in Taiwan, and to me that feels like,、um, you know, when you when you guys back、uh, live back in the states, when you have a popular person who is on a concert tour, the person may skip a few states, but if the person hits like Southeast Asia as a country, then you know for sure Taiwan, Hong Kong, Singapore, those places will definitely be hit. So. To have a an advantage of running an event in Taiwan is that maybe here in the states that、um, if you have an event, not everyone or people you want to meet will be able to go to your event, even if it's right in your home state. But in Taiwan, because I don't know what's the correct term for it, it narrows down for people on the on the list for them. So if they want to go to Infinity in Taiwan. You get to meet them. Yeah,、hey, I, I think you're speaking to basically like like if I'm understanding correctly, you're kind of speaking to like the size of the of the country, perhaps like like how I mean, you know, Taiwan is much smaller than a state, so like you know, like if you're going to you know, if that popular or I think you're mentioning ban right, if they're like on a, a ban on a concert tour going to if they're going to like Taiwan, since it's a smaller country, it's easier to get people from that country to go and see their you know event or something like that. Um, and then like uh, I I think like you know for even smaller countries like you know like Singapore, um, which is literally a city state, right? Um, you know it's very easy you know with good public transit over there, and and of course even in Taiwan there's good public transit, but you know the size of the country and good public transit, you know kind of those two together really help with like getting people to see those you know people coming from abroad. Yeah, definitely. If it wasn't for the trains and the high-speed rail, I would have never made it to Fermit. How was it? I,、uh, I'm very curious about it because I think it's in Tainan, which is my uh, home um, home city. Oh, okay.、I、yeah, I, I liked it a lot. <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> good. Um, so like they picked an interesting area in Tainan.、Uh, do you know the Anping district? Yes. Precisely, yes. Yeah. So they picked a was it a Marriott in the Anping, and this 
hotel is in a it's very nice it's uh in a Five very stars. touristy area yeah um good luck finding any nearby restaurants <laughs> is that in the middle of nowhere i i wouldn't say it's in the middle of nowhere it's just um there's not much in walking distance or you mm-hmm. could basically just get something from uber eats or food panda but like yeah there's not that experience of ditching the con for an hour and hanging out with your friends at the Denny's or whatever. So kind of like uh, Infernity. If Infernity is a little further away from the tour- touristy spot. Kind of, kind of. But Infernity, like, Damshui itself is uh, is still kind of touristy, but it's not. It's definitely not downtown Taipei. Right. And Anping itself is a touristy town, so I guess the location of hotel isn't Right next to where the touristy spots at, but uh, I'm glad you're you guys are able, um, uh, Lightning are able to um, visit Tainan for the event, and I hope you guys had a good time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was just glad to go to a furry convention. Out of all of the countries that I have had the chance to live in, I think Taiwan has been the best in this year to go to a convention or to do anything outside of your house. Absolutely. Absolutely. I really don't know when cons gonna be back. When we're gonna have uh, normal cons again in America. <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm I'm pretty glad that I had both Texas Fairy Fiesta and Harmony Con to enjoy during all of February before everyone just started shutting down their conventions due to COVID nineteen regulations. Not that I'm mad about the regulations. I completely understand that aspect. Yeah, right. those are right. important. You, you don't want people to go to your event and catch up something and then people will be unhappy or potentially put people in life-threatening situation. Uh, surprisingly, I'm not sure if you heard, but uh, uh, Gaoshang Tea Party uh, had to postpone until next year. I think I saw something like that. Yeah, I like... The it was kind of interesting. The day before they made that announcement, I was put into like a Facebook group chat, Facebook Messenger group chat of a whole bunch of other furries who were looking for roommates to go down to Gaosheng for that weekend. And then, like the day later, I wake up, everyone's screaming, "Oh my god, I can't believe it's canceled!" I was like, wait, what happened? It's uh, stable, like a COVID situation is stable enough. People can actually planning events until recently. There's small spikes in uh, uh, individual cases. Right, yeah. There was like that one uh, New Zealand doctor, I think, who had uh, later tested positive. Uh, I break the, such a good record right there. <laughs> Yeah, for both countries, I guess. There, there is one topic left um, that uh, I haven't, we haven't, we haven't really hit yet, and um, something that that is, you know, to the core of this podcast, and that is um, one of the reasons why why uh, we made this podcast is to sort of like bridge the Asian and um, the Western fandoms, um, and in particular, we're, we're kind of trying to focus on. Um, the Asian side of the fandom or at least people from that side because we think that you know there's a lot of stuff and a lot of activities there are a lot of conventions going on in the Asian side of the fandom 
but I think a lot of people in the West don't know about or may not understand. Um, I, I know, for example, that people may know about JMoff because that's like that's probably the number one, I guess, like Asian furcon in their opinion. But I know there are other um, there are there are obviously other Asian cons out there, um, like Infernity, for example. Um, and so, um, so kind of like in the spirit of like the goal of the podcast, um, I was just we, I, I wanted to ask you, Kofu, like like as someone who um, grew up in Taiwan, later moved to the states, you know, like 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 what are some like the differences or and 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 and, and similarities that you see between the fandoms on on both sides? Um, it's kind of a loaded question, so I mean, take your time to think, but it's something that uh you know, or at least at least for me, something I'm very much interested in. Um, I think for the similarity, I guess everyone shared the same interest. There's no doubt of that. I think the cons in the U.S. or people here in general, I guess they also touch touch base of the cultural differences. Is that um, I feel U.S. cons or the fandom in the U.S. focus more on uh, individual creativity, where a lot of the characters were. <laughs> self-made. I'm not talking about first look, just character itself. It could be crappy, it could be beautiful, but regardless, people like to create their own character. And only, like, I came up with uh, Red Fox with uh, three tails and pink hair. That's That belongs to me, and I created it. And the person who owns that persona is proud of that, and doesn't really treat it like um, a child or 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 a different entity. And I feel in Taiwan and maybe other parts um, like Japan, self-created characters seem to be a little less. And uh, that doesn't mean people are less creative, but I guess people are more in the habit of um, buying. A character as a product and that definitely mm. happens a lot in the first world over there but I'm not sure if that's the case with um, personas but yeah I guess you guys you guys know about characters that's pre-made and if you want to buy a character <laughs> sheet and then the first maker will make it into a fursuit that kind of stuff you don't really see a whole lot of that in America so I think that's a major right. cultural differences that I see in between the countries. And coming back to similarities, as a fandom when, with people who share the same interest, every time you go to an event, it feels like a um, school reunion, even though I guess one doesn't really go back to a school reunion all that often or every other, every other month. But it really does feel like that, and you feel you may not know uh, furry personally, but you definitely hear about the furry either online or in the distance at an event just like you were if you were to go back to um, School reunion you may know someone from a different class By hearing his or her uh -huh. name and not knowing not really knowing about Them personally, but you you do know this person exists. It happens a lot in the fandom but I think that what the fandom provides is that it creates um, community community space for people to meet up and um, instead of um, continuously idling idolizing each other as um, 
celebrity. So I think that's the similarity in both、uh, Western and Eastern. It creates a space for people to be able to meet each other and understand that this is a hobby, and under underneath the character or a fursu, there's a real person underneath it. If you realize that we're all just people, like to make friends with each other with an interest.、Um, as much as I would like to talk more about the international Asian、uh, convention experience, that might be for another podcast because we're running a little low on time right now. So, Kofu, if you want to plug anything, if you want to give us your social media. Anything that you want to show to the audience, go ahead and speak now. Okay, I do have a Twitter account. If anyone would like to follow me and、uh, want me to follow back, it is K O F U Kitty K I T T Y Kofu Kitty is my Twitter account. And I just want to add one last piece of、um, advice that at the end of the day, we're all just people behind our avatar. So be it. That you want to be a popular figure in the fandom, or if you already are, be nice to everyone, cause we all share in the same interest, and、um, let's keep this awesome furry culture continue. I think that's exactly the kind of mentality I think everyone should have. So,、uh, thank you for joining us, Kofu. Glad to have you on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, no problem. So this has been the Fox and Burger podcast. I have been Burger, and I'm Fox. All right, see you guys in the next episode. Bye bye. Bye bye.